you have literally never borrowed money. What this line tells us is that you quite literally cannot be the debtor. That's a red pill for somebody, right? So people talk about being plugged into the matrix, but the matrix is actually plugged into you. You've yeah. never borrowed money ever. You can't because you're the most valuable thing that exists. So yeah, everything yeah. else borrows you. The entire system pulls from us. We don't pull from it. Hello and welcome to a brand new mini series with uh, myself and my friend and co-host Jay Griff where we are going to be talking about what real law is. Jeremy and I did a collaboration a couple months ago where we talked a little bit about the legal fiction and the legal system and we got a response that we neither one of us quite expected. I think that video probably was the greatest response I've seen from my audience in terms of the demand for more of this content and Jeremy and I took that as a sign from the universe that we're meant to keep discussing this a little bit further and so we put our heads together the last few months to come up with a kind of a mini series to present to you the way we see and understand what law really is what freedom really is and where it actually comes from and so we're going to have a five or six part series where we're going to go over what we perceive as the most important topics to really digest so that you can live free, live empowered, be self-governing in a world that is full of legal corruption and fraudulence. And so today we're going to be talking about where real law comes from. As many of us know that our founding fathers based our constitution on the Bible, and there's been an attempt to dismiss that of recent in the mainstream media, because when we understand the truth of where law really comes from, we can immediately start to see the fraudulence of the legal system that has hijacked our country and then how to slowly take back the original state of law that was established by the founding fathers, which does come from the Bible and from scripture, which is really just another pointer to what we call natural law, meaning these laws are not righteous and true because they come from a, a spiritual text or a religious text. They're in the Bible because they point to universal laws, universal truths that are self-evident in nature, in creation, and in each one of us. And because our founding fathers and the people of that generation all agreed that these laws represent true justice and true righteousness, we're going to base our constitution and our country on these laws. And so to get a really good context for this, we have to understand where our law actually comes from and why. And so a lot of people, Jeremy, say to me since I've made that, uh, since we made that video together, why are you talking about law, Aaron? Aren't you a spiritual teacher? Shouldn't you stick to your subject matter? And uh, to that, I always say, I talk about law because law is 100% spiritual. <laughs> and that's what we're going to attempt to show you today through this, through this uh, episode. So why don't you kick us off, Jeremy, and kind of this initial conversation of what is natural law and where is natural law derived from? Yeah, first off, I can relate to that. I get some of the same questions, especially with such a random background as some of the things that I've done in the past. But uh, when you're on the spiritual path, you never really know how your service to humanity is going to evolve. So I don't think anyone should be surprised that Aaron is now teaching in more expanded sub-realms of truth. Because that's what it is. 
right? So the same way you're teaching spiritual truth, now you're teaching truth as it pertains a little bit more to the 3D. It's kind of been my path as well. So as far as the natural laws, we're very excited to dive into this stuff for you today. And we have some gems that we've uncovered that are going to be pretty mind-blowing to a lot of you. Unless you've studied the Bible from the lens of commerce, we've got a real treat for you today. As far as natural law, I think the easiest way to think about this is just think of the Ten Commandments. Think of the most basic rules that govern the universe. For more New Age people, maybe they view this more as the laws of the universe, right? There's roughly 11 laws that govern the universe. You could think of it in that sense. If you're more on the religious side, you can think of it as the Ten Commandments. Basically, throughout time, there's been these tried and true, timeless laws and principles that seem to govern reality. And when we go against them, bad things happen. And when we live aligned to them, amazing, what we could call miracles, happen. And that's probably the simplest way to explain it. And yet we live in a world today where we've been indoctrinated through a few hundred years now. And yes, that's all it's been, just a few hundred years, but it seems like a really long time. We've been indoctrinated to slowly accept and not question this concept of another man feeding us what we should and shouldn't do, what is right, what isn't right. And we've gotten so disconnected from the concept of going straight to the source to derive what rules, if you want to call them that, we should follow and what principles we should align ourselves with and act according to. And we live in a world today in which people go to the Congress and the Senate and the state they live in and the police officer, whatever it may be, policy enforcer, they go to these entities to find what they think are the rules that are of the highest good for them. And they completely overlook timeless, which we'll get into this concept of timeless versus very shallow rules, but they overlook timeless rules, laws, principles, however you want to think of them, that govern all of reality. And they govern especially the 3D world and what our life looks like. Yeah, most of my viewers will be familiar with the law of one, which is a big part of my channel that I teach about. And really, natural law is the law of one, which says that all are one, all are created equally. And what we call karma is really the force that, that governs this law of oneness that there are, like Jeremy said, built-in laws that govern the universe, and we are ultimately only subject to these laws. They are really self-evident, but because we've been so brainwashed by a fraudulent legal system, as Jeremy explained, we forget how self-evident freedom and our rights actually are. These universal laws operate on the basis of karma, and so that whatever laws you violate of the universe ultimately harms you in the end. Right, It ultimately comes exactly. back upon you. And so that is why everyone is incentivized to live righteously and fairly under natural law. And to an even further point, some people have proposed that even the idea or the concept of crime, the phenomenon of crime, is, a, is really a response to an unjust, unfair society 
a corrupt mm. legal system that's actually not fair because if we ran our society truly on natural law, everyone would be equally incentivized to do good to others and live righteously because you benefit when you live that way. But when law is, is corrupted by man's reasoning, then it's it always ends up catering to an elite class and subjugating a lower class. And then the lower class will respond with what we call crime. And even if someone who's a criminal doesn't realize this is really what they're doing, they're actually saying, this whole system is inherently unjust, so I'm going to violate it. That is actually what's happening. And so in the Law of One, Ra talks about the importance of not infringing upon free will, right? And the positive polarity, they call the service to others path, polarizes and evolves based on honoring and protecting free will, never infringing on someone else's free will. So never forcing someone to do something, never telling them what they have to do, never deceiving them, always being honest and truthful in your expression to others. And then the negative polarity would be the inverse of that, right? Doing whatever possible to capture someone's free will through deception, through manipulation, coercion, or what have you. And so really that's what we're seeing happen in our world right now. And this is why this conversation is so important for everyone to really take in and digest and embody because we're at a place in humanity's evolution where the service to self forces on this planet, the negatively polarized forces on this planet, are coming to the forefront to do their best to take this planet over in enslavement. And they're doing it through this corrupt, fraudulent legal system that we have to begin seeing and recognizing, and more importantly, understanding why it's not righteous and lawful to live this way, and why there's a better way based on God's law or natural law that we should be living, which is a law system that is based on service to others and honoring the free will of all living beings. So I think the greatest act of service to others or one of the greatest acts of service to others that any of us can do right now is to join into this conversation, to understand what real law is, that freedom is a state of being that comes from within you. It is inherent to who you are as a divine creation of God. Nobody gives you your freedom. It's inherent to who you are. And so then when you live that way and you understand that and embody that inner freedom, every time you stand up for your rights, you are simultaneously standing up for the rights of all living beings because you're saying all are equal. My rights are everyone's rights. I can't let you infringe on my freedom because I'm technically giving you permission to infringe on humanity's freedom because all of our rights come from these natural laws. So I just wanted to preface that as we get into this of getting into some of the biblical stuff that this is really one of the greatest acts of service that we can all commit towards humanity's benefit to, to really lean into this conversation we're having today. That's powerful. And I think a lot of people may not be, I'll say it like this, a lot of people fear that level of responsibility. If their actions are in a way acting on behalf of all of humanity, I don't know if that's, that tends to be something not a lot of people like to consider, but that is the highest truth. Not everybody is ready to be free. That's a great point. We're not here to force everyone to be ready to be free or to live self-responsibly. But what we are saying is you're probably watching this channel, this video right now, because you're one of those people who do want to live with self-responsibility and to benefit humanity's freedom. Yep. And you have an amazing audience. I've gotten to connect with them a lot since our last video. You definitely have an amazing community that you've crafted. And I will say for a fact that what you just said is true. <laughs> 
your viewers are definitely wide awake and excited to continue that process. To that, I would concur, my friends. All right, guys. So before we go any further, we just wanted to preface that today's conversation is not intended in any way to be religious. I'll just speak for myself. I am not religious. I wouldn't identify with that word. Today's conversation is much more about showing you what we have found to be objectively true in our studies of the law. We happen to be going pretty pretty deep into the Bible, and we're going to continue to go deeper as this series goes along. But basically, our intent today is to demonstrate and show you guys that the Bible's teachings reflect natural law, and our current legal system comes from the Bible and natural law. The things that we're going to be speaking on today, a lot of our current laws... The reason these things are valid isn't because the Bible, quote unquote, says so. It's because the Bible is based around natural law. So I think it's important to understand before we get into this stuff, we just wanted to preface that we're not trying to make this a religious conversation. It just so happens that the people who created our current systems, the systems that most of you are not too happy with and me and Aaron concur. These current systems were created by people who happened to model after the Bible. That is what got passed down. That is largely, at least in the Western world, where this stuff came from. And so that is where our systems derive. The irony in that, the last thing I'll say on this topic, is that we've strayed so far from it, yet that's where we came from. We got the premise from religious texts, but then skewed the hell out of it and corrupted it. And so that's where man's flawed nature comes in. But that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. There's a passage, Jeremy, in the New Testament where Paul writes, all scripture is God breathed. And fundamentalist Christians use that as the evidence to say, look, this even says that the Bible was written by God. But obviously that verse doesn't say the Bible was written by God. It says, Scripture is God-breathed, meaning inspired, right? To inspire is to breathe in, which is also to, to take reference from. So to me, that verse is saying that personally see the Bible as a very divine book because it reflects natural law, the laws of the universe, and it does so in a very articulate way. And so the Bible reflects what is eternally true. It does not create what is eternally true, right? That's what I think the Founding Fathers recognized and why they built our constitution and law system off of the Bible because they basically said, hey, these are laws that we all agree are universally true and will create a very good, healthy society, right? That's powerful. All right, guys, so I'll preface this. For anyone who is a little bit more familiar in the sovereignty, law, freedom space, you may be familiar with UCC, Uniform Commercial Code. This is basically the body of law that governs corporations, and this is applicable internationally. So UCC is a very strong set of laws. Pick any business out there. They are governed under UCC. And it tends to come into play in the sovereignty space because you have people doing things, anything from debt discharge to trying to correct things with a ledger to trying to put liens on things, all that stuff you see comes into play there just for anyone who isn't necessarily aware of what it is. I think it's foundational to today's conversation to show you guys firsthand how if you understand that UCC is what governs all 
commercial entities internationally. And we'll be showing you in a bit. UCC operates based on 10 first principles. Think of them as the 10 commandments of UCC, if you will. There's these foundational concepts. And when we get into each of those 10 concepts, and you guys can research this on your own and easily find this on Google, but each of these 10 rules or laws or whatever you want to think of them as came from scripture. And for most of them, it's not one scripture. There's numerous scriptures that kind of reflected back this truth that eventually became what is now known as UCC. So even as corrupt as you think you may think the world is or the system is right now or big business is, these corporations are still being governed under rules that came from the Bible and that came from Scripture. I'll start us off and then I'll pass things back to Aaron, but I wanted to read this for you guys. This is a little bit of an introduction to explaining the 10 maxims. The foundation of the Uniform Commercial Code, UCC, is commercial law. The foundation of commercial law is based upon universal, eternally just, valid, moral precepts and truths. The basis of commercial law is the law of Exodus, for example, the Ten Commandments, of the Old Testament and the Judaic Orthodox Hebrew commercial law. The laws of commerce have remained unchanged for at least 6,000 years and form the basis of Western civilization, if not all nations. So just wanted to kind of preface that so you guys can understand. This is not our opinion. This is a little bit more of an educational episode rather than us just riffing or getting into some actual meat and potatoes here. So, Aaron, you want to speak a little bit on 10 maxims and then we can potentially give them a few examples, maybe? Yeah, so we're going to just quickly read you these 10 maxims and we'll put it on the screen here so you can see just how many scripture references each one of these maxims comes from. A maxim you could think of as essentially one of those universal laws that is built in to reality that we all acknowledge as being fair and just. And so the first maxim of UCC law is that a workman is worthy of his hire. And so that makes sense, right? That you would never want to make someone do a job and not pay them what they deserve. That would be a diminishment of their value as an equal to you. And so we have all these different scriptures here. And the legal maxim, it is against equity for free men not to have the free disposal of their own property. Second maxim, all are equal under the law. And this is a big one where we see that our public servants, policy enforcers, judges, even congressmen, president, you name it, we live in a system now where the law is absolutely not equal to everyone. In fact, there's many videos you'll see on TikTok and Instagram, especially during the COVID era, where people are straight up pointing a camera in a police officer's face or something and say, oh, so I'm subject to follow this law, but you're exempt from that law. Is that what you're saying? And the policy enforcers are clearly none the wiser to this maxim because they'll say, absolutely, that's right. I'm above this law and you're below it. And so that's a violation of the second maxim. All are equal under the law. There should be no person, whether president or whoever, that has any right that you and I don't have. We could say that's derived from the law of one. Very similar concept here. 
That is the law of one in a nutshell. The a workman is worthy of his hire. To me, that comes from the law of reciprocity, which is one of the universal laws. So it's like in our last podcast, that analogy you used, of which people loved, by the way. It's like, you mow my lawn. And then I'm like, Aaron, that'll be 50 bucks. The third maxim here is in commerce, truth is sovereign. And it should just say in reality, truth is sovereign. But <laughs> commerce is part of that. So, you know, there's all these different scripture references here. Legal maxim, to lie is to go against the mind. Oriental proverb, of all that is good, sublimity is supreme. So what this is saying is, if we're trying to decide a matter in commerce or a contract between two people or anything, the absolute truth of the situation is what decides the matter, right? Not he said, she said, I feel, they feel, I'm upset, they did this, I'm triggered. No, truth has to be sovereign. We base our decisions on what is true and let reality dictate that, right? There's so much we could say right there about the world that we live in now in 2023, where feelings are everything apparently, and the truth isn't as important anymore. It's more about what do you feel or does someone else's viewpoints upset you? And if so, then they're not allowed to have their viewpoints and things of this nature. We've gotten very far away from these maxims, you could say. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is that this third maxim, we're starting to get into this concept of where the spiritual meets the physical. That's what comes to mind when I always think of this one. So as we get into number four, number five, number six, we start to get into this concept of an affidavit, which is a legal template. We'll explain it. But in order for you to express truth, how do we do that? And so the commercial systems had to come up with a way to take the spiritual which is what is the truth. And it had to come up with a way for that to be expressed. And so that's where we start to segue as we get into number four to this concept of how do we express truth to prove that it is sovereign, whatever the, the topic we're trying to express or whatever the accusation we're trying to free ourselves from or whatever it may be. We have to have a way to express that in commerce to prove that the truth is sovereign. And that's really where some of these concepts of having witnesses came from, or these concepts of swearing under penalty of perjury came from, or these concepts of even having statements of facts, which is one of the five or six pieces of what an affidavit is. And the last thing that I wanted to say is to throw a little legal jargon in here for those who are actually studying this stuff. When Aaron was mentioning like it's not, this doesn't have to do with what you, your feelings or what you think is right. It's like truth stands alone. It just, it is what it is. It doesn't really need to be defended, right? So what we would call the opposite of that in law is called hearsay. And that is why we have a legal system, which is innocent until proven guilty. You're not guilty until proven innocent. So anyone can accuse you of anything, right? Whether it be the IRS or a debt collector or Joe Schmo trying to sue you or whatever. But all of that is hearsay. If they cannot produce exhibits and prove that truth is sovereign, anything else, they can say whatever they want, but that is just what we call hearsay. And I think it also says, right, Jeremy, that the burden of proof is on the claimant, correct? Yep. The one who's making the claim. So you can't just be like, oh, you stole my car. Do you have any proof? No, then... We can't take that as a truth because truth is self-evident. Yep. If it's true, you'll have proof for it, right? 
So yeah, that's the fourth maxim, which says that truth is expressed in the form of an affidavit. So four is really just mentioning in order for you to even express truth, here's how you do it. In order for you to maintain and be absolved of truth or in truth, there's further steps which you just got to. Which makes a lot of sense. If you're in an if it if you're in a debate or an argument with somebody and you're trying to use their own statements against them, they can just be like, No, I didn't say that. Oh, I didn't say that. And so that you can just go around forever doing that. So in law, it's an unrebutted statement of facts or a statement of facts under penalty of perjury. So you can't say, oh, I didn't say that. You have to put what you say, what your statements are on the record and under oath so that you can't go back on it, right? Keeps the integrity. Yeah. And that's another reason why, for example, when you write an affidavit, here's a gem for your audience. What we teach is you always want to demand in your, usually towards the end of your affidavit after your statement of facts, you want to demand and state your specific terms of how they need to engage or respond to you in reply. And so it's not only about specifying, let's say, for example, you have 14 days to remedy this injury. But it's also about you need to express this. A real person needs to express your reply and sign under penalty of perjury. Otherwise, you're talking a whole lot of nonsense. I'll give you an example. So as I talked in our last episode, I teach consumer law. Of course, we get into the basics of common law, the basics of UCC, etc. But my lane is consumer law. So that is USC. And so a lot of that is pertaining to consumer debt, consumer reporting agencies, debt discharge, et cetera. And one of the things that we see over and over and over is we, our students will hit them with high level, let's say affidavits, right? Or high level frameworks, whether it's a notice of fault or a certificate of non-response and dishonor, or some of these frameworks for those who may be familiar. And what they will make their demands of what I just expressed, right? So they'll be very specific about you have 10 days to respond lawfully and here's, it needs to be sent via certified mail so it can be proved that you received it. And then it also needs to be, for example, signed under penalty of perjury by an actual official within their organization, right? They never do that. And so right out the gate, they're violating the 10 maxims. And remember, we said that UCC governs all corporations. So I just wanted to explain that because these maxims go both ways. In order for you to express truth, you have to use an affidavit. When they respond with an automated response, right, a letter that a robot printed out <laughs> that just automatically sent you an excuse of we couldn't validate your information, or like something, we've concluded this debt is yours, like the stupid letters that they send. That's just an automated bot. There is no truth being expressed in that. Here's why what you're saying shows how truth always reigns supreme in the end. We just have to know how to express the truth and the truth will be on our side in that when you send these corporations who are trying to fraudulently charge you a debt or something, and you say, hey, I'll conditionally accept this debt if you can verify the debt for me, and swear under penalty of perjury yourself. And guess what? They can't because they're a legal fiction, right? They're a corporation that is a dead entity. 
So an actual living man or woman would have to take that document to a notary or before two witnesses, and that living person would have to swear under penalty of perjury. And like, why would some guy who works for Bank of America want to put his skin on the line for your debt? You know what I mean? He doesn't, I just work here, bro. I'm not going to do that. So it's like they can't meet you on truth because they're an illusion. They're a fiction and you're real. So the fifth maxim says a matter must be expressed to be resolved. This is another huge maxim of law that if you don't express your rights, you basically have no rights because nobody's going to come, certainly not the legal system, are going to come and express your rights for you. So you have to know your rights and express them to actually have them which is, there's a huge spiritual parallel there, right? We, it's the same thing we must do spiritually is to know the truth and then actually live by the truth, be able to live and embody the truth, not just know it. The same applies in law, is that if someone's violating your rights and you don't know how to show them why they're violating your rights, look, this public servant, this police officer doesn't even know what real law is. He thinks he's acting lawfully by violating your rights. So you need to be able to express why and where it's a violation of real law. Otherwise, you can't resolve the matter. So this is how the legal system also gets us in that were any of us taught this in school? I've heard you say this, Jeremy, that you actually measure the importance of things now based on what isn't taught in public school. It's like they're not going to tell you the most important stuff to empower you with knowledge. They want you to be a nice, ignorant pleb who's just going to be a cog in the system and be another person on the conveyor belt for them. They don't want you to actually know that you're free and sovereign and stand on your truth. So they don't teach you real law in school. They want you to be ignorant of that and just go into the world like everyone else with a blindfold on and get railroaded by the legal system because they know that you don't know how to express your rights. So they're just going to stomp all over you until you do. Yeah. And this one is one of my favorites, the spiritual parallels to stepping into your personal power and speaking your truth is huge here. A lot of people complain about their situation in life in general. A lot of people complain about the system and these systems, and they complain about being oppressed, right? Whatever it may be. And they feel that, for example, I always talk about this. They feel that their best use of their time and energy is to go, for example, protest, or for example, not buy from blank company. They feel that things like this is the best use of their time and their bandwidth. And when you look at things from a commerce lens, from a commercial perspective, and you look at this legal maxim, for example, number five, a matter must be expressed to be resolved. And it goes on to say, in somewhat of a translated sense, he who fails to assert his rights has none. And so I want you to think about if you feel you're being wronged by the system and your best idea of how to respond to that in your life is to go protest or to complain or to, for example, not have a bank account and just go off grid. That's not a real solution because you haven't asserted your rights. So you don't have any. You can run from it all you want. You can also run at it all you want. I view both of those as different sides of the same coin, right? The person protesting, running straight at it, and the person who's like, yo, I'm going to go move to Oklahoma, get some land, fuck the system, I don't have a phone, not going to have bank accounts, fuck technology. I view both of those as very similar thing. Neither of those people are asserting their rights. So you haven't learned the real lesson. You're being called forth to 
learn how to speak your truth, right? That would be the spiritual in the spiritual community. That's a big verbiage, right? That's a common phrase. Speak your truth. We're very familiar with that as conscious human beings speaking our truth. But when it comes to law, we don't speak our truth. And the scary part about that is dead entities are the only things that shouldn't be speaking because they can't, right? Corporation, dead speak. If you're a living, God-given soul on this earth, you should be expressing your rights. Because when you don't, there's what's called an implied contract where the government, for example, but this can occur in any situation, can assume, can imply that you're consenting simply because they use some sleight of hand, maybe verbally told you you were contracting with them in using language you had no clue about, right, legalese, and then by you not exerting your rights, legal maxim number five, now you're in a situation where you're plugged in heavily to the system, you don't have rights anymore, you have privileges, and you're wondering, how the hell did I get here? A big part of that answer is implied contracts. You have to exert your rights. You can't just go off grid. You can't just protest and not participate. You have to right their wrongs. That goes right into the next maxim number six, which is the one I was referring to a minute ago. An unrebutted affidavit stands as truth in commerce. And we have all these scriptures here that it's backed by, but it says, he who does not deny admits. So that's what Jeremy was saying is if you're not, if you're not saying, no, I don't consent to that, they're going to say, okay, so he's obviously consenting because he didn't say he wasn't like, that's how the legal system works, right? They use your, your, your silence or your lack of knowledge against you as tacit acquiescence. And there we go with Hosea four, six, right? The famous verse of my people perish for a lack of knowledge lack of knowledge not power or freedom or anything else but a lack of knowledge knowledge is power in the law yeah so aaron breezed right through a hell of a word that we want to teach you guys today because it's very relevant to this thread that we're on so we'll put it up on the screen but if you aren't familiar with this word definitely get familiar with this word and the word is acquiescence and in layman's terms when you acquiesce to something you consent or accept it so in other words, if I am serving Aaron court papers, right? I'm trying to call his person, his straw man into the Admiralty Maritime Courts. And so I'm a server, I think they call them, right? The person that serves papers. So I'm knocking on Aaron's door and he opens the door. And because he doesn't have financial literacy, I go, hi, are you Aaron Abke? And he goes, yeah. And I just hand him a stack of papers and I walk away. That is what is called being served. So now he's being notified that a corporation has filed a default judgment against his straw man, blah, blah, blah. And people normally spiral and they get all sucked into, oh, now I need to go to court. I need to defend myself and all this stuff. But my point with all of that is what I just did was an example of acquiescence. Aaron didn't know. But by saying yes, by representing his straw man, rather than saying who's asking or that person, 
doesn't live here or whatever it may be. He said yes. And so I just handed him a stack of papers. I didn't even need to say a word. And that would be what is called an implied contract. And by accepting that stack of papers and by saying just one word, yes, Aaron acquiesced. So I just wanted to give an example of how tricky these things can be. It's not like any of us signed a paper written by the devil himself that said, you will have no rights, you will eat crickets, you will own nothing, and you will be happy. Sign here, sir. And you're like, yes, please. It's not like any of us did that. They're disguised. Sometimes it's just verbal. Sometimes it's implied. I'll give you another example. If you registered for voting, you just willingly entered a contractual agreement in which you let the state know, I'm a statutory U.S. citizen who does not have rights but has privileges. Please treat me as such. That's what happens when you sign up for voter registration. There's many of these examples. <laughs> Obviously, you're not aware of that or you wouldn't do that, but that is the system that we live in. Expressing truth, how do we do that? An affidavit. We must express a matter in order to resolve it. We have to assert our rights or we don't have any. And then once we do that, now what? We have to exhibit what we're trying to exhibit and then make sure that they're unable to rebut that with an affidavit. So it becomes like a game of like chess or like battleships for anyone who remembers that game. That was a legendary game. You send yours, right? You make your move and then they have to make a move back. And generally they'll send you some stupid template or form where they won't even respond. That does not qualify for a rebutted affidavit. They have to be able to rebut your affidavit point for point. They have to rebut it point for point and then swear under penalty of perjury that that was yes. true and correct, which they can't do because yes. they don't exist. So yep. you, when you brought up chess just now, like that's a great example I like to use that this is what has essentially happened in our country is that going back to the fact that we're never taught this stuff in public school. It's because we have common law, the law for mankind based on natural law, which is omnipresent all the time. So how is a, a legal system that wants to infringe on humanity's rights going to override that omnipresent law? The only way to do it is through like contract law. So what the legal system is always doing is tricking you into entering contracts with them. So then it's essentially, well, this is righteous because they entered a contract with us to have this relationship and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, it's still fraudulent because you're not aware you're even in a contract 90% of the time. So it's like you're brought up in this world where you're taught how to play checkers and all the while the real world is playing chess against you. And yeah. not only do you not even know how to play chess, which is a way more complicated game than checkers, but you don't even know that they're playing chess, let alone how to play yourself if you even knew. So they put yeah. humanity at such an incredible disadvantage using our ignorance again against us. So our acquiescence which is acquiescence, right? So just to br breeze through these last few ones, we have number seven, an unrebutted affidavit becomes a judgment in commerce. Any proceeding in court of commercial affidavits where the points remaining unrebutted in the end stand as the truth and the matters to which the judgment of the law is applied. So again, the truth is on your side because you're a real living being and the corporate system is not. 
And so this is why they want you to hire an attorney and things like that so that you give your rights over to a legal system, attorney who's going to express your rights for you and suck you back into their system. Because really all the truth and power is really on your side. So they need to pull you into their side to, to defeat you. And really that's what court is, right? Court is built on conflict where Jeremy was just explaining, if you're having a discussion with a corporation going back and forth, you're laying your claim on the table, swearing it under penalty of perjury, which is an honorable thing to do. And then they're responding back. They can't drag you to court as long as there's still a conversation going on until you say no, or you disagree, or you try to fight them. Then there's a conflict that they're going to drag you before the judge about. And there's actually a verse in Matthew where Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly, lest he take you to court before the judge hand you to the officer and the officer throws you in jail. Jesus literally said that. So even 2000 years ago, Jesus was privy to the way that the system works, which is all based on conflict, which is why a big part of being lawful is that, hey, we always come in peace. We're never here to conflict. We always conditionally accept what our adversary is accusing us of. Hey, you owe me this much money. Hey, I'll gladly pay that. If you can just certify that there really is a debt for me. And then we put the ball back in their court. So now we're not in conflict. We're in honor, but we just ask them to do something they can't do because they're a legal fiction, right? Yep. Yeah. And you just nailed it. What I was going to say is, and that brings up this other important concept when we're talking about maxims and first principles to abide by is remaining in honor or another way of saying it is in good faith. So there's this concept of throughout your administrative processes, which an administrative process can be thought of as like from start to finish your letters, legal processes, affidavits, whatever stuff you're going to send to an entity back and forth, that's your administrative process to try to remedy an injury, which I don't mean a physical injury. That's what it's called in law. So when you're conducting your administrative process, it's really important to remain in honor at all times, which means, for example, treating them as you would want to be treated, not, for example, saying, I refuse to pay this debt, screw you, or whatever it may be, cussing them out on the phone, different things. It's about remaining in good faith, remaining in honor, and then just always sliding the puck back to their side of you have the burden of proof. So you don't really need to do too much. And I did want to also mention something quick, real quick while we're on the number seven. So you were diving into kind of court and how the courts work. And I wanted to also just give you guys some context as someone who runs a 200 plus person group in which we do a lot of this stuff. And uh, sometimes our students will actually get sued or threatened to be sued by debt collectors, right? And it's super interesting because the initial response, if someone's newer to this stuff and they get a letter, it's you have 30 days or we're going to sue you type letter, which is totally fraudulent, by the way. That's like harassment, discrimination, because all you're doing is following your consumer rights written by Congress to protect you. The initial response is the fear, the wave of fear and, oh my God, what's going to happen? I'm going to go to prison, like all this very irrational stuff because these are civil matters anyway. All they care about is money. But anyway, if we understand what we've walked through thus far, hopefully you guys are following us and we'll put this up on the screen at multiple points throughout this, but you understand that 
truth is sovereign. And in order for truth to be expressed, it has to be expressed in an affidavit. I'll stop there. How can they file a default judgment against you, which is what they have to file in order to sue you? How can they do that when truth hasn't been expressed in the form of an affidavit on their end? A matter hasn't been expressed to be resolved. And certainly they didn't get an unrebutted affidavit that can stand as truth in commerce. They'll just skip all of that and sue you. We've had it happen to our students. One student in particular, he was newer to the stuff. He spent a few months like dipping his toe in the water, being very like hesitant, right? This stuff overwhelmed him, if you will. Finally, he decides to take it seriously. He sends one validation of debt letter, just requesting the very basics of 15 USC 1692 G. Just once again, you're right under Congress. It's like, you're just following the law. Like it's very normal. He gets a letter from Amex, we're suing you. And I just felt like pretty bad because it's like, she never, there was this first introduction to this stuff. <laughs> and I've never heard of that happening ever. Like they didn't even say we refuse to validate it or we don't need to validate it or the debt is valid. They didn't even respond. He just got a letter from the court <laughs> that he was being sued. Isn't that crazy? So they skipped. Yeah, they skipped. My point is like, UCC governs all commercial entities. Amex is definitely a commercial entity. They can't sue you legally if they've broken these laws, but they do. And they even get away with it. They even get away with it if you don't know who the fuck you are, as we like to say. If you don't know how to exert your rights, number five, then when they do that, you go, oh shit, and you call them up and you're like, all right, I'd like to make a deal. And they're like, all right, we'll drop the case, right? That's where you get your, all right, I'll pay 50% of the debt or I'll get on a payment plan or whatever it may be. And so that's why the, these systems, they operate on fear and they rely on your acquiescence due to you being in the energetics of fear. One of the main things outside of the spiritual component to counteracting that fear is you have to understand that the first principle is the rules to the game, right? You would never expect to be good at chess if you didn't understand how to move a rook or what a knight did, right? You had to figure out, okay, pawns can only do this, queens can do this. It's very basic, right? You would never play the game until you knew that. But we're all playing the commercial game. You don't have a choice. If you were born, you're playing, but you don't know like how to move a rook and you don't understand how a knight can move and you don't know what a queen can and can't do and you don't understand that the king is the most important piece etc. So you're pretty easy to beat, in other words. It's a scary place to beat. But that's how the legal system works, is that they can't play ball with you lawfully, so they have to use threats and scare tactics against you and hope that you don't really know your rights, so you'll just say, like Jeremy said, okay, fine, I'll just pay, whatever. And actually, everything they've done is unlawful and unrighteous, but gotta know your rights. Moving on to number eight, he who leaves the field of battle first, aka doesn't respond to an affidavit, loses by default. So this is where I've seen a lot of people will say that they'll go through an administrative process, put all their facts in an affidavit, ask for you know, them to respond. They don't respond. You let them know, hey, now you're in dishonor because you didn't respond. So you've acquiesced. Yep. And then they're like, we're suing you. Yep. Exactly. So that's always their ace up the sleeve is we'll just sue you and take you to court. Yeah. And that's why I tell people like, look, if you can just understand the basics of how to go to court, 
and how to present yourself lawfully and all of that, and you could just stand on the facts of the truth, then you're invincible to the legal system because that's what they're hoping is their checkmate against you is that they could ultimately just drag you to court and railroad you because you don't know how to express your rights, number five. And if you do learn how to express your rights and you're not afraid of going to court, then it's your checkmate against them. That's their last kind of line of defense. Maxim number nine, sacrifice is the measure of credibility. This is a really good one. It says, one who's not damaged, put at risk, or willing to swear an oath on his commercial liability for the truth of his statements and legitimacy of his actions has no basis to assert claims or charges and forfeits all credibility and right to claim authority. This concept of what we're talking about is perfectly demonstrated in here. We were mentioning, yeah, I'm not denying anything. I'm not trying to fight anything. Just prove to me this. And also, I'm going to need you to lawfully put some skin in the game and sign this under oath. And uh, they never will. For anyone who's on social media is uh, putting out content, you're always going to have those people under the bleachers eating popcorn, telling you how shitty you are or how you could have done better or how you should have done better. There's always going to be people trying to tell you how to do your job, but they're not in the arena. So their opinion does not fucking matter. And that's something that holds so many people back is the opinions of others. And you guys wouldn't be able to consume important life-changing messages like the ones transmitted in me and Aaron's last podcast and this podcast and this whole series if we let the opinions of others stop us, right? So we know that to be true in certain senses, but when it comes to the law, we'll get a, we'll get a scary letter and we'll be like, oh no, but these things are automated letters. They're never willing to put skin in the game. You're never going to see that signed by the CEO, the chief risk officer, the CFO. You're never going to see that because they won't put skin in the game because why would they like that now they're personally liable once they do that now we can get into the 18 usc laws which are the criminal codes where now we're talking big money and we're also talking up to 10 years imprisonment sometimes 20 depending on the code so like some of the rico codes that some of our members use those are up to 20 years some of the aggravated identity theft codes those are up to 10 years and if you guys have studied identity theft you understand that anytime a bank for example is claiming to be the creditor and they're calling you the debtor that is identity theft so that that's normally civil meaning it's just about money and you would just get money reparations but it can become criminal and on that criminal side we're talking 10 years minimum in federal prison if they want to sign on that, sometimes we've had students dealing with dealerships and the dealers trying to basically lie to them. And there are codes that you can bring up where you basically ask them, like, are you aware of this code? And they either say yes or no. And you're like, all right, are you willing to, this call is being recorded. Are you willing to go on the record and state what you just stated? And they'll usually either freak out that you're recording them, hang up or say no, because they understand. They understand how that works. So this is a very interesting one. Yeah, and it, there's another story as you were talking that reminded me of where this also is derived from in scripture. There's a story of King Solomon 
where a woman or two women come to King Solomon and they're saying, hey, she stole my baby and I want you to give it back to me. And then the lady says, no, this is my baby. And she's trying to pretend like it's hers. And they're both arguing. And so King Solomon in his wisdom says, no problem, simple solution. I'll just divide the baby in half and give one half to you and one half to you. (laughs) And then one of the women says, no, please don't do that, King Solomon. Just give her the baby. It's fine. And King Solomon said, all right, that's the true mother and gives the baby to her, right? Because sacrifice is the measure of credibility. So that's when parable right there. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So when you swear under oath, you're saying, hey, I believe in this truth so much, I'm willing to put my life on the line, so to speak. I'm putting skin in the game. And if they're yeah. not willing to do that, then who's really in truth right now? It's pretty yeah. self-evident. Yeah. And that's why we call it literal skin in the game. Like you have a lot to lose. So put up or shut up, as they say, like everyone's got opinions, prove it. Otherwise it's hearsay. So like we, as the person conducting the administrative process, as a person remaining in faith, as a person remaining in honor, as a person following these frameworks, you're checking all the boxes and you're putting skin in the game and you're doing it in a lawful, respectful way. They disrespect us by not reciprocating and violating the very rules they created. And that's where the opportunity lies. Yes. That is why the whole legal system functions on corporations, because literally the only purpose of a corporation is to remove the liability for someone. It's a legal fiction shield where you're Someone's basically saying, hey, I'm not acting as the living man, Aaron Abke. I'm this corporation. And so then the corporation is going to do stuff on my behalf. And if the corporation does something wrong, I'm off the hook still, right? That's how the legal system behaves. It's like you get a letter from Bank of America saying blah, blah, blah. It's, oh, where's Mr. Bank of America who sat down in his office and wrote this letter to me? Nowhere, right? No one, there's no person named Bank of America It's a legal fiction. And so you basically can stand on that truth and say, hey, I want to talk to a real living person here. I don't know who you are, Bank of America. What does that even mean? Like, where's the injured party? That's what you're getting to. Like these common law foundations, show me the injured party. And then we can potentially talk about remedy if you can prove that there's an injured party and meeting of the minds and these types of things. Yeah, super important. Final maxim says a lien or claim under commercial law can only be satisfied by one of the following actions. And there's some verses here where this is derived from. It says, if the plaintiff does not prove his case, the defendant is absolved. So again, the burden of proof is on the claimant. That's where we can get some justice is when someone is claiming we owe them a debt that we don't actually owe because all debt is fraud. You just say, hey, no problem. I'm glad to pay any debts I lawfully owe because I always remain in order, but I'm just going to need you to prove that there is a debt and verify that for me. And they can't, and the burden of proof is on them. So it's over at that point, but that's why they'll just sue you and take you to court. It kind of lists these four requirements, right? So a lien or a claim under UCC can only be satisfied by one of the following. It either has to be satisfied by a rebuttal affidavit of truth, which we talked about, but it specifies supported by evidence. That's what we call exhibits. So you would have to, for every statement of facts, A, B, C, D, E, et cetera, you would have to have exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, clearly laying out 
what your truth that you're stating is and swearing is. And I've never once heard, I've never once seen or even heard of an entity doing this. Never. Thus far, I haven't. I don't know if you have as a person, they could try, but I've never even seen that. Though they won't even write an affidavit. There's never even an attempt. So it says they have to rebuttal affidavit of truth supported by evidence point for point. So let's say you make 19 claims in your statement of facts. So one of the, like we said, so an affidavit, you have your intro section establishing who you are, what you aren't, etc. You establish some groundwork, then you get into the statement of facts. That's the meat and potatoes of it is the statement of facts. I, affiant, which is a fancy way of saying the one writing the affidavit, solemnly swear, but then what is it, right? So Bank of America claimed this and violated me under this law and on this day or whatever, right? And then you have your exhibit A, all of those different things. Let's say you have 19 of them. That entity has to rebut all 19. If they rebut 18, you got yourself a judgment. So that's what's interesting here. And that's why I'm specifying. I've never seen them even try. Because it's not like they try and they fail. They just don't even try. <laughs> like I said, it's disrespect. That's that's an energy I derive. They're like, we're not even going to waste our time. We're not even going to try to. We're going to try to pull you into our game. And uh, so that's option A. Or it can be resolved by payment, agreement, or resolution by a jury according to the rules of common law. So that's number 10, guys. We made it all the way through. Now I want to read to you probably one of the most powerful pieces of all of this. And we're reading off a document that I've compiled. I don't know if we probably won't make it available to the public. This is just my private information, but we will make sure to have the 10 maxims up there and I'll actually make a little document and Aaron can link it in the show notes. So you guys can actually have a downloadable version for yourself. If you want to print it out, put it up on your wall, etc. Would highly recommend that if you're like a student of this stuff. So this says real commercial law, remember UCC would be commercial, real commercial law is non-judicial and is prior and superior to the basis of and cannot be set aside or overruled by the statutes of any government, legislature, governmental or quasi-governmental agencies, courts, judges, and law enforcement agencies which are under an inherent obligation to uphold said commercial law. Commercial law is a quote-unquote war of truth expressed in the form of an intellectual weapon called an affidavit. An affidavit is merely a written list of facts or truths signed under penalty of perjury and usually notarized. The person composing and signing an affidavit is called the affiant. It is, quote-unquote, survival of the fittest, where the last unrebutted affidavit stands triumphant. So this is the game. This is the game. And there are levels. There is a hierarchy when it comes to law. So I just wanted to share that because I think it's extremely important to understand that you got statutory law down here. And you got God's law up here. And somewhere in the middle, we got common law, which is much closer to 
God's law. That goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of how important it is for us all to learn real law, learn how to express our rights so that if another COVID-19 pandemic scam happens and every grocery store attendant, every policy enforcer is saying, you have to wear this mask, you can't go in here if you're not this or that, then you could just calmly and kindly say, that's actually not a law. Here's what the real law says. And it doesn't even matter if that gets you real justice in the moment, right? It matters that you're expressing truth and truth has power. That person may not listen to you in that moment. They may still try to railroad you or scream you out of the store. But the point is you calmly and kindly and honorably show them the truth of the law. And that's going to sow a seed in them that will bear fruit at some point. Most people have never heard that these statutes and mandates aren't law and we're not actually obligated to follow them. And so even just hearing that could be a huge red pill for someone. So this is how we can, again, serve humanity's highest good by just living according to natural law. Very true. So guys, we just made it through the 10 maxims of law. We highly recommend you guys study those. Like I said, we're going to link it for you so you can check out all the different scriptures and really read them to try to understand how what you're reading isn't in fact merely a religious story or a story some people just view them as stories in general but actually is a guide to commerce and i talk about this a lot we probably mentioned it on your last podcast but the bible is a book of commerce i'm not saying that's all that it is but I'm saying that it is largely viewed and accepted as a religious text and overlooked as a commercial text. And we already talked about this on our last episode. I grew up religious. You grew up religious. We both grew up in the church. So I had a background in the Bible. And so I thought I understood what different stories were about, what different books of the Bible were about, what different parables were about. And it wasn't until the last three-ish years or so that I've revisited these stories and these words and these sentences and even sometimes the numerology and everything revisited after having an understanding of both common law and consumer law and some UCC. And all of a sudden I'm find myself getting mind blown left and right. What we want to show you guys is some scriptures that you may be familiar with, you may not. You may have learned in the past, you may have not. And you probably, if you have, if you are at all familiar with them, you probably feel like you have some semblance of what they mean. And we're going to entertain and show you some alternative perspectives from the lens of having on your commerce glasses. So this is through the lens of commerce. We've done some deep diving in terms of finding some solid scriptures for you guys and this is by no means all of them. We're only going to get into a few today, but we wanted to show you what we mean when we say the entire commercial system and the laws today come from the Bible. Our first example for you, our first scripture for you, which we'll put up on the screen, is going to be John. It's going to start in John 1, and it's going to go all the way to John 14. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. And this scripture is subtitled, The Word Became Flesh, which 
pretty much all of you are probably already familiar with this concept, but we're going to entertain maybe lenses that you haven't considered before. He was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. Last one. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So this is very loaded, whether or not anything's coming to mind for those of you watching this. Few of the different topics being brought up here, whether or not it's immediately obvious. We have this concept of statutory and non-statutory, or another way of saying it would be public versus private or persons versus people. We also have this concept of birth certificates coming up. So I'm going to read this part again, and we explained this last time to you guys. So hopefully everyone's on board with the basic premise that when you were born, you were assigned a birth certificate, and at that time, you were actually assigned a death certificate and you became a dead entity. So if you understand that that was a commercial contract, that birth certificate, the thing that killed you, right? And that came from a statutory system. That was a statute that had to be passed and enforced to create birth certificates in the early 1900s. And that when you're under man-made or statute law, you're under a man and who are the men that created this? We could say they're satanic in a very simple way. So you're under a satanic system versus what we've talked about in our last episode as well. When you're signed under God, when you live as a blood and flesh human, something that is not commercialized or artificial, it's a completely different ballgame. In order for you to be signed under God, you have to have contractually rearranged some things so that you're no longer a, for example, statutory U.S. citizen. Because if we understand that the statutory system is satanic and it's all about death and the dead, how do you become reborn? Baptism. You have to come out of the water, Admiralty Maritime, right? So in order for you to be signed under God, and this is the way that we teach trusts, for example, common law trusts specifically, ecclesiastic trusts specifically, governed under God, governed under Jesus Christ, for example, not governed under the state of California or Uniform Commercial Code. Do you see the difference? So the jurisdiction and the standing of that trust is under God. With common law trusts, the governing law is natural law. It's what we've been talking about. So when I'm reading this, of course, this is about like having a personal relationship with God and, or you could view it from another lens and say that this is about transcending your ego and it depends the perspective, right? But from the commercial lens, yet to all who received him, how do you receive God? You have to sign an oath. You have to contract under God. Everyone understands baptism. People don't seem to understand the legal version of baptism, the lawful version of baptism. How do you sign your life to God? You literally have to sign your life to God under a trust. Yes, under the jurisdiction of God. And so you're, I guess you could think of it in a way as slightly correcting the record, the same way that, you know, 
your you and some of your mentors go about like status correction where it's like you're just correcting the record and it's a similar thing it's like i've been asleep under this satanic system allowing myself to be this and now i'm signing under god right so that's a very big difference that's why it's such a powerful decision when one learns to live and operate in the private versus the public because up until that moment, it's like how for a lot of people, baptism is one of the most important days of their life because they're signing their life under God. You live differently after that. It's the exact same thing. People understand that spiritually, but people don't understand that as far as it pertains to the systems and lawfully. And that part, I would argue, is even more important because while you're on this planet, you're going to be heavily oppressed, controlled, and manipulated if you're not signed under God. That is that which frees us. Because if we're contracting with Satan, how can we complain at how Satan's treating us? You see what I mean? Like you signed the contract. You agreed. It may have been implied or implicit or verbal, but you agreed. Versus you sign under God, that's some powerful shit right there. Yep. And the trust relationship represents the way that the creator made the universe in that the creator is the like the grantor of the trust and we are like the beneficiaries of the universe right god gave us the universe to enjoy and take dominion over and all the things that scripture says and we could say that the laws of the universe are like the trustees of that trust who are governing it and taking care of the assets and preserving it for the next generation and so you didn't know they made a corporation out of your name at birth and then they switched it from you being the beneficiary of your own estate, they made you the trustee. Like you didn't know you were a trustee this whole time. So like Jeremy says, you've been under this silent contract with Satan. So the best thing you could do is make an open public contract with God and say, now this is the system I'm under. I have a trust now that I am the beneficiary of. And you put everything you own in trust. Now it's in private, not in public, non-statutory versus statutory. And you're literally protecting yourself and your assets for the next generation under God's law, under trust law, which is also called ecclesiastical law. So I also like this verse, Jeremy, because when it says that it's likening Christ to the word made flesh, we could also see the term word as law and say that Jesus exactly. was like the law made flesh in that he fully demonstrated God's law and lived according to that law, the law of one. And so it literally says here, he was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. Why? Because the world is running according to the legal system, and that's all it knows. So he was the yeah. light that came into the darkness, but the darkness perceived him not. It's pretty amazing. And when I started getting deeper into the understanding the sovereignty stuff, law, contract law, consumer law, trust law, I really started to have a deeper appreciation for this scripture. And so most of us, hopefully, pretty much all your audience is going to understand and be familiar with that scripture, in the world, but not of the world. When it's outlining, he was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. From a commercial lens, what this is alluding to is the very foundation of why trusts are so powerful and how they work. So when Aaron just mentioned correcting things from only living in the public, where you have full liability and you're accepting privileges at the expense of your rights and you're under statutes and Satan basically, and you correct things or you restructure your life, if you will, you sign under God, et cetera, and you move things to the private. Think of that as 
putting things behind an invisibility cloak. Now, all of a sudden, you're in the world. What's the world? The public. What's the public? Jeremy, make this less complicated. I'm new to this stuff. When you need to go take out money from a bank, when you're going and doing a drive through at KFC, all of that is the public. When you're interacting with any of these systems as your person, that's the public. Okay? You need to go to the doctor. They need your health insurance. That's the public. You go to buy alcohol. They need your ID. That ID is the public. All of it is the public, these systems, right? So money, systems, transactions, barter, your person, your social, all of it is public. So what's the private? The opposite of that, the private, no one has any jurisdiction over. They don't even necessarily need to know it exists. They don't have the right to know it exists. And so when it says he's in the world, but not of the world, and Aaron beautifully demonstrated or illustrated, I should say, that Jesus Christ was the embodiment of natural law. That's a perfect way to put it. And Jesus, we know, was in the world, but not of the world, quite literally. <laughs> and so what can we take from that, though, being blood and flesh mortals? Well, being in the world, not of the world commercially means you can swim in the seas of the public, right? You have no problem navigating the waters of the public. You can use the banks. You can have fiat currency. You maybe even have a social. Maybe you even use driver's licenses, etc. You can engage in some of these contracts, but you know what you're doing. You know how to exert your rights. And where all of your, let's say your family's legacy right? Your actual moat is protected privately. And that is not of the world. So I view it like you go out and then you bring it back and you protect it. So it gets moved over here. Every time you're engaging in the public, you have to understand there's risk here. There's liability, there's threats. So you come back and you hide it. It's like, and you're safe. So that's like the public-private thing going on. So when it references being in the world but not of the world, obviously that's some of the best spiritual advice we can get, especially in 2023. That is always top of mind for me. That's been one of the most life-changing things for me. And how I strive to show up as a person is always, he's different. He's not the average person, unfortunately, in this day and age, whether it be mindset, beliefs, lack of faith, etc. But outside of the spiritual lens, commercially, I also, I believe if we truly love God and we truly desire a, as deep of a relationship as possible with God, then the legal framework and the stuff that we're talking about while we're in the 3D, while we're alive, is just as important in honoring God. These things are heavily controlled and used to manipulate us. And the scriptures are very clear on how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. Most people think the scriptures are only telling us how to conduct ourselves spiritually, but the scriptures are also telling us how to conduct ourselves lawfully, how to conduct ourselves commercially. So being in the world, but not of the world means you might want to consider learning what it means to live in the private. Don't have all your eggs in the public basket and also remember 
that one of the most important things you can ever do is signing under God. I've used the analogy of playing Monopoly, where you're moving your game board piece across the board, but you never think that you are that game board piece so that when your game board piece goes to jail, you physically go put yourself in jail. You understand that there's a difference between the fictional game piece you're playing. Your all capitals name that they made out of your birth certificate at birth is your game board piece. And the government, the federal government claimed that as their estate, their property. And so every time they trick you into saying, I am this all capitals name, you're saying, I am your property. I am subject to whatever you say, all your laws and statutes. So all we're saying is you can play Monopoly without knowing, without confusing yourself for your game piece, right? You can dip into the public, have a driver's license, have a bank account, do this and that, but all the while know that you're a living man who's outside of this legal system and have put that on record so that they can never claim again that you're their property and they can do with you what they will. Because again, just like we said with the contract law idea, if you say, hey, I'm the executor of this state, this estate, the all capitals name. I own it now, not the government. Guess what? Mr. Federal government can't rebut you and say, no, you don't. I'm the owner because they don't exist and you do exist. So again, you're standing simply on the truth and letting the truth fight your battles for you. I wanted to say that's a pivot to our final kind of like home run Bible verse for summarizing this conversation. There's the famous passage in Matthew 22 where one of the teachers of the law asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And listen to the way Jesus responds to this. Verse 35 says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then here's the caveat. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So everything we've said in this conversation today can be summarized in that. This is all that law is. Law is the most simple thing you could possibly imagine. It is love your neighbor as yourself. Some people also summarize it as do no harm. You could not know a single federal code or statute in the law and you could still live lawfully if you understand this one commandment. Love others as you love yourself. If you abide by that law, you cannot violate law. You never will break a law. And Jeremy's actually made this point on his podcast that I've heard that all crimes are commercial. In a sense, that's absolutely true because they have to make up an excuse to convict you of a crime where you've actually done no harm to anyone violated a contract, not paid a debt they claim, whatever, and then they can find you and jail you. But according to actual law, there has to be an injured party. And even if there is an injured party, that doesn't automatically qualify that you're going to prison because law is all about justice and remedy and righteousness. So if you do harm to someone, just as Jesus says in the Gospels, hey, if you've wronged your brother, go to your brother one-on-one -on -one and work it out amongst yourself so that you don't have to go to court about it. So you could go make remedy with someone that you've done harm to, and the two of you could come to an agreement that feels like a just remedy. So law is so simple that we overlook its simplicity because we're used to living in this legal society where our Congress is passing a hundred new laws a week, and we don't even know what they are because they're never even told to us, but yet we're supposed to abide by them. 
Does that sound righteous to anyone? Not to me. A simple way of thinking about that is things were extremely obvious and simple when things started. And then there's more and more iterations and it's just become more convoluted and confusing. And each iteration, it introduces more complexity. And with more complexity becomes an easier ability to hide things in there that are not something you would ever agree to or vote for. And so when there's 10 commandments, you can't hide shit. When there's 30,000 laws and hundreds being passed a year, and some of these bills are 150 pages, who's going to read that? So that is where we've kind of gone wrong. Let's go ahead and transition now into Deuteronomy 15. This is one of my favorites. I teach on this in my community, the LUC. So first off, the sub section is called the year for canceling debts, Deuteronomy 15. So it says at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Does that sound familiar to anyone? This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land of the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance he will richly bless you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all of these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. So what happens, and you're going to get it immediately, but we'll see if your audience says, so what happens when you go into a bank and you're wanting to access credit? You have to take out a loan. Right. And who do they tell you is lending to who? They tell you that they're lending to you, which is not true. Okay. And who's actually the creditor in that situation? You are. And who's the debtor? They are. But what are they telling you? Who are they telling you the creditor is? They tell you that you're the debtor and they're the creditor. Okay. So now let's read this again. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. Wow. Is that clicking a little differently? Because you're the creditor, but you don't know it. You quite literally cannot be the debtor. Now this can start to get a little bit more spiritual where we can extrapolate out and tie in this concept, which I'm not as... I'm not going to try to get into any numbers or any of this stuff. You guys can do your own research, but like the, we talked about it in our last episode, how when we're born, our social gets traded on the markets and there's like a value to it, right? There's a, usually this, it gets described as like, there's a bond attached to it and that bond has a certain value, right? And then they trade it so, on the bond market. Right. So people talk about different values. I've heard hundred million, I've heard billion, whatever. doesn't matter. It's a large number. I looked mine up the other day, actually. There's a way to look it up through a creating a fidelity.com account, and you have to have your birth certificate number, and you get the QSIP of your birth certificate, which is basically the yep. bond number of it. 
and uh, mine mine came up as one point eight billion dollars. <laughs> I don't know if that's the full value, but that's at least one QCIP's worth of value in my estate. All right, so let's bring this full circle because that's perfect what you just brought up. So you're literally now we can't have people in the comments like that's bullshit, never seen it. So you looked yours up, the QCIP number, one point eight billion. Perfect. So here's where I'm going with this. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. You already did the back and forth with me about what people think happens when they go to a bank or interact with a bank versus what is actually happening, right? Let's go a little bit deeper as to like, okay, Jeremy, but if you're saying we're never allowed or supposed to be in debt, actually, we're always the creditor, you're not being practical. How does that work? I can see some people thinking that. So that ties into this concept of when you were born, you had an intrinsic value attached to you. And that is what we were essentially gifted and supposed to be using throughout life. Now, I'm not going to go too into the weeds of that, but all I'm saying is Aaron has 1.8 billion attached to his social, his estate. You can read it straight from the horse's mouth, Deuteronomy 15. You will lend to many nations. Aaron, what Every single line, when you look up your GMEI utility, every single line of those is what? A nation that you lent to, right? And they're leeching your credit, aren't they? They're leeching your credit. And what happens when you go into Chase? They're leeching your credit, right? And what happens when you wanted student loans? They're leeching your credit, right? And what happens when you need a mortgage? They're leeching your credit, right? So what people don't understand is that the entire system pulls from us we don't pull from it. So people talk about being plugged into the matrix, but the matrix is actually plugged into you. Think about that one. I'm going to say that again. People think that they're plugged into the matrix, but in order for the matrix to operate how it does, it actually needs to plug into you and harvest your energy. That's why corporations, they're dead. What are the dead feed off? The living. So this one is just crazy powerful to me. Lending to many nations, borrowing from none. We've gotten so far from this that we actually think that our commercial system is based on borrowing. We think we're borrowers. We think we're debtors. Because we don't know who we are, right? Freedom comes from within. It is inherent in your being because you are inherently the most valuable asset that exists on this planet. We think that gold is so valuable. How much more valuable are you than gold? Like infinitely more times more valuable, right? Because a gold, a bar of gold can't write a contract, a check, can't start a business, invent products, do commerce, buy things, sell things. A bar of gold can't do anything but sit there and be shiny. So how much more valuable are you than that? That's why when they took our dollar off the gold standard, they secretly, silently, back to the dollar on human labor, right? So we are what the dollar is backed by, which is why we are always the creditor. And one thing that I'll tell people who I try to have this conversation with my friends sometimes who haven't heard it before, and it takes them a minute to wrap their mind around it, obviously. And so I'll say this one statement that helps them to get it, which is you have literally never borrowed money from anyone. You've always been <laughs> given your own money. That's a red pill for somebody, right? You've yeah. never borrowed money ever. You can't because you're the most valuable thing that exists. So yeah, everything yeah. else borrows you. 
you say it that way and I say it, all debt is fraud. It's saying the same things. It's pointing at the same thing, but it's very different ways of saying it. Well, that's why when you get a balance in the mail from your loan or something, it's always in a positive balance, right? Not in a negative balance. In accounting, a positive balance represents a credit, right? A negative balance represents a debt. So they're sending you a credit and then saying, pay this debt by this date, blah, blah, blah. And so you're just saying, hey, no problem. I'll pay any debt that I'm lawfully obliged to pay. I just need you to verify that there's a debt. And they can't do it because there isn't a debt, meaning they didn't give you any of their own money. You don't owe them anything, right? They borrowed from your trust account from the Federal Reserve and loaned it to you. So you're not in debt to them, but they just call it a debt because they know that you think you're a debtor. So you'll pay it. And now we're in 2023. <laughs> and we're waking up, baby. Yeah, we are. It's been cool to see. People are hungry for this stuff. I think there's a very clear reason why our last podcast did so well. And even the etymology episode that I mentioned in our podcast as well. Same thing. A lot of people are really seeking out this stuff. So we began this conversation talking about natural law. And I wanted to read this definition of natural law from the Encyclopedia Britannica that says, natural law in philosophy is a system of right or justice held to be common to all humans and derived from nature rather than from the rules of society. Aristotle's held that what was just by nature was not always the same as what was just by human law, that there was a natural justice valid everywhere with the same force and not existing by people thinking this or that. Now, even Paul, the Apostle Paul in the Bible, ascribes to this philosophy when he said that the law was written on the hearts of men in Romans 2.14. So when we say that our whole law system is based on what is self-evident, the Bible is just writing out what is already self-evident. That's why people wrote it, you know, thousands of years ago, because it was self-evident to them. So the law is written on our hearts. And I found this passage that I wanted to read from the Declaration of Independence that'll just put a nail in the coffin, I think, with this topic. That in the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers wrote, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God. So they were saying there they were divorcing themselves from the British, from Europe, and starting a new country. They're saying in doing that, we are establishing the laws of this new nation on the laws of nature and of nature's God. There it is right in the Constitution. If someone ever tries to tell you that law isn't based on the Bible or Scripture or God's law, that's why it says one nation under God, because that's what they wanted for us to always know was the foundation of our society what is just and fair and true. And so in this conversation, we've just tried to really just begin to present you with the basis for this understanding. But we want to stress again, as we close that if you're going to live free, if you're going to be self-governing and sovereign, you have to understand that freedom comes from within, which means you live from forgiveness and love and unity with all living beings. We're not here to argue with the police officer that we're free, right? We're not here to argue with the judge that we're free. We don't need to argue and get angry about this stuff anymore once we know that freedom can't be taken from us because it's an inner state that flows out of us naturally 
when we understand who we are under God. So the world is waking up to this, especially through the pandemic, right? Where we saw our rights being taken from us without anyone even understanding, how are these people doing this? How are they just stealing our rights like so easily? And that's because the world doesn't yet know fully, some people do, but most don't, that freedom is not a right that can be given or taken by a government or something, but what is right and just and natural for all and equal to all. So again, when you start living this way and you start expressing your rights and living free, you have to realize like you're standing up for the rights of all of humanity when you declare your own rights. And that's the most spiritual, powerful thing you could do to be of service to others is that humanity is in bondage right now only to its own ignorance of who it is, of what real law is. And so we can be the message, right? We can be the gospel by simply living free, which means, again, we're not here to conflict. We're not here to fight anybody. We're not here to protest. We're simply here to live free and demonstrate freedom and invite anyone else who wants it to join with us. Powerful closing, brother. One thing I want to I wanna state before we wrap up is statutory law was written for people who are not able to self-govern because they operate in such low levels of consciousness. In other words, the way that it is justified and has been justified is if these statutory laws aren't laid out, these people will destroy themselves. And so this is much more of a consciousness issue than it is anything else. And if you can understand that the laws are written for people in very low levels of consciousness to keep them, in a sense, out of their own way, then you can also understand that as you evolve your consciousness higher and higher, you're not meant to abide by those rules. Am I telling you to break the law? I am not telling you to break the law. All I'm saying is that these bodies of statutes and man-made statutes, legislation, etc., was created for lower level, lower consciousness humans. And if you are not that, these do not apply to you in the same way. That is another lens through which you could interpret be in the world, but not of the world. The world's rules don't apply fully to you when you're of God. God's rules come first. And so that was the main thing I wanted to add in there, but I also wanted to drop a little stat for you guys before we wrap up. Congress has enacted about 200 to 600 statutes during each of its 115 terms so that more than 30 thousand statutes have been enacted since 1789. 30,000 rules that you're supposed to follow <laughs> that they don't follow, but you're supposed to follow because you're trapped in lower levels of consciousness and allow them to pull that off on you. And all you have to do is let it go. All you have to do is ascend, is step outside of who you think you are, let go of lower level consciousness, lower level energetic states, shame, guilt, fear, anger, resentment, etc. And as you rise up, you start to see it very clearly how me and Aaron are laying out. Like, it's really simple. Just 
live as a child of God. And I think that's our main kind of message here is just giving you guys a different perspective. Of course, a lot of our statutory law today comes from the Bible, but also that there's this hierarchy of law and that God's law reigns supreme. And as a child of God, there is a slightly different rule book than if you're not a child of God. Right, because what is legal is not always what is lawful. Law is based on God's law. Legal is based on man's laws. And so in a very real sense, what we're saying here is that we, the people, are the law. I am the law because the law is based on my being as a divine entity of the creator. I embody what law is. And so we, the people, were always supposed to be the highest authority in this country, according to the way our founding fathers set it up, in that everyone in Congress, legislation, the executive branch, judicial branch, they're all public servants that are supposed to serve we the people. And the way that the Founding Fathers designed it to be is that we the people are supposed to review our legislators' laws. And if we don't agree with a certain law they're trying to pass, we veto it and say, go back to the drawing board, try it again, because it's the consent of the governed here. But that's not what happens because we don't know that's the power we have. And so we have a country that's essentially hijacked by Congress, where we have a group of people that go into a quiet room by themselves and decide on a hundred laws they're going to pack into one bill, and then they pass it the same day. None of us had a say in it, and now we're supposed to abide by it? That's as fraudulent and corrupt as it could possibly get. If a bunch of people can go into a room and decide on what laws I have to abide by, it's a no for me, bro. I'm out. I'm not interested in that kind of system. And so we are realizing slowly but surely that, hey, we actually are the law. No one tells us what laws we have to abide by. The law is love your neighbor, do no harm. That's it. And when it's as simple as that, I think that's a simple truth that anyone can take home today. Again, whether they know a single code or statute or not, if you understand that one commandment, then you understand the whole law. Beautifully said. That's our presentation for today. We want to thank you for watching this and joining us on this journey of new self-discovery and self-empowerment and self-governance and so we're going to be we're going to be actually rotating channels every week as we post each new episode so this week the first episode's been on my channel next week we're going to be talking about essentially the history of how we got here and how the systems we're operating under really have been constructed slowly and gradually over time and that episode's going to be on jeremy's channel next week so if you're not subscribed to Jeremy's channel, definitely do that and be prepared for the next episode to drop on his channel the following week. With that being said, love and light, and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace and love, everyone. Thank you for your time.